You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. everyone and welcome in to another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford joined by Gene Henley again for another episode of the show here in the offseason of Tennessee men's and women's basketball but it's rapidly approaching Gene. I know it's definitely football time right now and we're, as we're recording this Tennessee football is two weeks away from kickoff of the uh, season opener for them against Ball State but as I mentioned last week Tennessee basketball is uh, less than three months away both the Vols and Lady Vols from starting their season, and we're getting into practices here probably fairly soon, actually, in the next, it'll be sooner before than you know it, uh, than you're thinking, I guess. But anyway, I want to say thank you to all of you who are tuning in here, whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're listening on the podcast. We really appreciate all of you who support the show and listen in or watch however you do. If you're on YouTube, please give this video a like and please share it. And, and please actually leave comments down below, too. I love seeing your all's comments and interactions. I think this will be one where we'll get maybe some more interaction than usual because we're going to cover a couple of topics that... Uh, I think we'll drive some engagement at recruiting and then also some jersey uniform talk. So I know a lot of people love to talk about jerseys and uniforms, so would love to hear your thoughts on that in the comments below on YouTube. And if you're just listening to podcasts and also want to share your thoughts, you can hit us up on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever, and we're also on Facebook at Vol Basketball Fever on there as well. Well, Gene, the big news for Tennessee basketball this week was Tennessee landing a commitment a big-time commitment, I guess you could say, a, a four-star, a guy who is, I guess, considered by it. I, I saw it on three, and I want to say also maybe two more seven, that is a guy who uh, is expected to kind of climb up the rankings at some point and maybe even be a borderline five-star. But regardless, it's still a highly-rated kid and a guy who I think has a lot of potential. Freddie DeLeon, who is over in Raleigh, North Carolina. Actually, I think Fayetteville. Regardless, he's in North Carolina. He's in the eastern part of North Carolina. Over there, it's actually close to Fayetteville. It's close to where uh, I lived for about a year and a half before moving back to Knoxville. Uh, so anyway, he's from North Carolina, number two player in the state of North Carolina, a combo guard, about 6'4", 6'5", rated as a top 100 prospect across the board, I think, except maybe rivals. Uh, but on three, he's rated the highest, at 50th overall, and then two or seven has him as number 69 overall, but he's a top 100 player of both their composite rankings on, on three and at two or seven. Again, combo guard, uh, a 6'4", 6'5", about 185-pound, 190-pound player, who Gene is the kind of player that I think Tennessee hasn't landed a ton of over the last few years. I think the, the closest one you can compare to in terms of what I'm thinking of, of a volume shooter, of a shooter who is a, a dangerous scorer, is Vescovy on the team currently. But I I think maybe he would put up more shots if he needed to, but he's not, he's not quite the volume scorer, volume shooter, I guess, necessarily that a Freddie DeLeon seems to be. Looking at the uh, write-up from Jason Shaw, or Jamie Shaw, excuse me, on, on three about what is Tennessee getting in him, he mentions that he is wired to get buckets. That's the appeal of what he brings to the table. The unique part of evaluating DeLeon is that he plays predominantly on the ball this level. Uh, Shaw believes that he'll be more of a two-guard in college. Right now, he plays uh, in high school and in the AAU circuit, plays kind of a, a point guard. Again, that's why he's kind of listed as a combo guard, because he projects more as a shooting guard, but plays a lot of on-ball and point guard role right now and what he, you know, what he does in high school and AAU. Uh, for the team loaded NC during the Adidas 3 SSB finals, he played in five games, averaged 17.8 points through the event, and also about five boards and three assists. And then, through six April games on the same circuit, he averaged 22.5 points. Uh, his shooting averages weren't super great for the event, but he, he also put up, I think, like 18 shots per game in that event, too. But again, that's five-game stretch. It's a small sample size. They didn't have the uh, shots per game in the six-game stretch there. But from everything that people saw in the AU circuit, from everything I've seen in high school, He's a guy who is able to really thrive in the mid-range, but also shoot the ball effectively uh, from three and kind of seems to be a nice three-level scorer who has a high release here, according to uh, Jamie Shaw. says he has a high release on here. His expectations is, he says that scoring is something that comes naturally to DeLeon, and the four-star guard has clear upside to be an all-SEC type scorer. 
There are things that you have to do differently in Knoxville than he does at this current level, however. In two or three years, there's upside for him to be a leading scorer in the league, but give him time as he continues to progress his natural talents. Gene, this is, I mean, it's all, you know, this is all, I won't say speculation. These guys, you know, Jamie Shaw and other guys have watched, you know, Freddie play, so it's not speculation. It's what they've seen. But, you know, take, take it all with a grain of salt. The things we see in high school and an AU circuit doesn't always translate into college ranks. But this is the type of shooter type of score that Tennessee has not had a whole lot of in the last past few years. I think DeLeon has the potential, you know, to be, you know, not a one-and-done player. I think he'll probably be a two-, three-year player for Tennessee, um, assuming he signs with Tennessee, which I think he will. But I think he has the potential to be a, a, guy, a kind of guy who, again, I think he can be a guy who is one of the top scorers in the SEC. And Tennessee, again, Vescovy was one of the top scorers in the SEC, I think, last year, at least one of the top three-point shooters. And then you had Kenny Chandler, who was a very talented scorer for Tennessee as the year went on. But I like DeLeon, uh, Gene. I, I think this is a guy who you paired with Cade Phillips in the 23 class, bring him in. We've, we already talked about last week, I think it was, about you know what is the future of this program after this year because you're losing a lot of – your core guys after this season you need to find some replacements and kind of fast. Deliota isn't a guy who I think is going to be, you know, instantly come in and averaging 13, 14 points in the SEC, but I think he's a guy who has an immense upside and I, I love his skill set and I love the, the way he's able to score at all three levels. So I've, it's funny, I've been sitting here watching this video because. I saw something about the commitment, but I mean, I've just been kind of crazy busy this week. Uh, it's a name that popped up in my mind when I watched this kid. I just watched a few minutes of his uh, highlights. Uh, DeMar DeRozan. Mm-hmm. Um, like you see a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I understand that a lot of the conversations that he can shoot it. And I saw him hit like three or four threes in the, in the clip. Uh, I think it's, it was from the Adidas circuit. Um, I, th- I think I saw him hit like three or four threes and, I was five minutes in when I got away from it. But I, a lot of what I saw was him just getting to the basket. I mean, not even necessarily getting to the basket. I mean, like most of his layups were off transition. I mean, I, I think he's got a really good mid-range from just the part that I saw. Uh, there's obviously a chance to develop the three um, even more so. Um, because, I mean, at, at the next level, when you're 6'4", um, he's, he's not – he didn't look overly – explosively quick, but he was able to get to his spots. Um, and he had, a, like I said, he had a really good mid-range, and that's a lot of, um, you know, as a recovering Bulls fan, I, I think that's one of the things I saw a lot with DeMar DeRozan. Uh, it's just he gets to his spots. And if he rises up, he, he you know, he shoots a good percentage. But Rosen's like 6'7". Yeah. Kid's 6'4". Um, going up against some of those elite now, he won't be there next year, but, I mean, a guy like Kaysen Wallace from Kentucky, uh, obviously Tennessee fans are familiar with. Kid's about the same size, and I think he's far superior athletically. Um, so I don't know if he's going to have as much. Uh, it's not going to be as easy for him to just rise up and get those shots off. But what I saw was a kid who is comfortable getting to his spots, uh, looked like a competitor, um, can you know can make can make threes, uh, can, you know, facilitate. A lot of basketball nowadays, especially in the AAU ranks, is uh, playing off pick and roll. And, you know, I saw a lot of what he did there um, was impressive in in that regard, his decision-making off of that. I didn't see any assists. I get that. I mean, I understand it is what it is. Uh, I do think he looks like a kid who can become a good decision-maker there. But, I mean, when a guy like Jamie Shaw, who's you know, so well-respected in this industry, you know, you know, is able to heap the sort of pr- the praise that he did on this kid. And, and, you know, and obviously, like, Nationals, I think the Adidas stuff was in uh, – was in Adidas Nationals were in Rock Hill, which is yeah. basically right in Jamie's backyard. Uh, I actually watched a lot of those highlights were at the same venue that we played at um, for a tournament the very next week, um, and so what I what I saw, what, I mean, and so what I see is a kid who uh, can do a lot of positive things. It's certainly a good addition to the program. Uh, can score at will, you know, because he's comfortable knowing what he can do and can't do, and he seems like the type of kid who will lock in on trying to improve on the things he can't do. 
I mean, he's not like a one and done kid, and maybe maybe signings like the two, I mean, commitments like the two that Tennessee currently has, you know, to, to kind of close the loop on a conversation that we've had um, that we had recent we had last week and we've had recently. Um, it could be a kind of changing of the guard to where not everybody wants to do the, you know, like you want to bring in kids who can really just develop your program and build your program. And like, again, I don't see a kid who's going to be gone nine months after he gets to, gets to Knoxville. I don't see that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see that. I, I see a lot of area and room for development and, and growth, which, you know, may lead to some headaches early on, but by his sophomore, by his junior year, he's the type of player that you want to have in that program. If you truly want to be, you know, a, a legit basketball program and not just a program that every eight months sends a guy to the league um, after having a subpar to an outstanding year, depending on prospect. You mentioned DeMar Rosen, so I was curious and was looking up uh... – his college stats and stuff and what he did at USC for the one year he was there. Uh, he was pretty good, but also sent me in a rabbit hole of looking at that USC team, and I don't know how they didn't have more success than what they did. I think they ended up winning the Pac-12 tournament, um, and was they, they won the first game in the, I think they won the first game in the, whatever, yeah, the NCAA, I think. But they had Taj Gibson, DeMar DeRozan, and then a freshman, uh, Nikola uh, Vucevic, that year, um, and finished 22-13. and 13. So... Uh, that's uh, that's rough. Tim Floyd did not have a did not have the best run there at USC. Um, he's there for what, four seasons. Yeah, that was and that was his last year there. And then he went over to UTEP. I think they yeah they had the uh, vacated 2007 2008 season as well for him at USC. So man, that just <laughs> brought back some memories of some of those mid 2000s USC teams that were solid but never really could. I mean, never could break through a lot. They're kind of the the team that was ranked in like the upper teens, low twenties for a lot of time and made the NCAA tournament but never really could, you know, break through. I just forgot I forgot DeMar DeRozan even played for USC. I guess because from one he's a one and done, but also um you played USC and that doesn't get a whole lot of attention over here on the East Coast and <laughs> basketball at least. But I think you're right. I mean I think he's a guy that like you said, he he's not the biggest project ever. He's not a guy who like you bring it in who was a I wouldn't say Jonas Adi was the big, biggest project ever, but he's he was more of a project, I think. Or Urosh, for example, was a, a much bigger project. I don't think he's quite on that level of a guy who needs a lot of work, but you're right. He, like, he has plenty of natural skills that you can hopefully build off of, and he's not the most raw player. He's not just a – we've talked about on the podcast. You've mentioned it several times, Gene, about you know a lot of times these higher-ranked guys are ranked more because they're athletic and they're athletes, but they may not be the best basketball players. I think in this case with Freddie, you mentioned he didn't quite, you know, jump off the screen with his explosiveness. I think he's fine athletically, but I think he's a pretty solid basketball player, and I think he has a lot of skills to build off that. So I think in his case, his higher ranking is based more on his skill set um, than necessarily the, the fact that he's a freak athlete. I mean, he, he's built pretty fine. Like I said, he's 6'4", 6'5", 185, 190. That's not, you know, he's not a small guy by any stretch of the imagination out on the court, but he's not a freak of nature 6'9", 240 who can run like a gazelle either so um i think there's a lot to like there i think you're you're hitting the point there about kind of the passing of the guard for what you know moving on for after this upcoming year and you'll have you have you'll obviously have some guys that are on this team that'll be on next year's team too but it's going to be a lot of new faces next year just just like it's kind of a lot of new faces this year too but you have a lot of returning guys who you you know as a fan have gotten used to watching you have Freddie DeLeon, you have Cade Phillips right now committed in this 23 class, and Gene Tennessee, I think, is in a very good spot with really three other guys right now um, that I put in there. That's J.P. Estrella, uh, Cosby, I forgot his first name, but he's a, a guard, and then you also have Silas DeMary Jr., who I think Tennessee might be fading on a little bit, but I think they're still very much in the thick of that, but I think really Cosby and um, J.P. Estrella are the two that Tennessee is really most heavily involved with, and Estrella is a very, very talented big man. We've talked kind of in passing about him on the podcast before, Gene, but I think you'd mentioned that you didn't care what his ranking was, that you've seen him play, and you think he's an extremely talented kid. Um, Tennessee has a chance. Again, if they can land those guys, we were talked, I think, just, just two or three weeks ago about some of the misses Tennessee's had on the recruiting show with the Justin Edwards and uh, being the biggest one. 
back up other guys, you look at the Tennessee's missed on, the Aiden Holloway, for example, who committed to Auburn. Even with all those, Tennessee ends up with a class of DeLeon, Phillips, J.P. Estrella, and then another guard or two in the class two. That's a that, I think, you know, on paper at least, that's an extremely solid uh, fall signing class, let alone what you do in the spring and summer, uh, you know, when you have other guys transfer and have other spots open up or maybe declare for the NBA draft or whatever. But um, to me, Gene, like, you can't just base it solely on paper. But also, you know, not only do I think all these guys are talented and are highly rated, but as you just mentioned, like, I don't – if Tennessee gets all those guys, Estrella, DeLeon, Phillips, and, again, other Cosby or Demery uh, Jr., I don't know that any of those guys are one-and-done players, so you're not just getting talented players. You're getting guys who could be at the program for two or three years, again, assuming they don't you know, transfer out. But in, in theory, you're getting guys who I think aren't necessarily one-and-done guys, and maybe they are, one or two of them are, but you're getting the bulk of the guys you're ranking in aren't going to be one-and-done, in my opinion, and they're guys that are very talented as well. You're not just bringing in you know, under-the-radar three-stars, and those are fine, and Tennessee's obviously had a lot of success with those under-the-radar three stars. Not, not just Grant Admiral and that team, but again, Zachary Ziegler was another radar three star, and he, he's turned out very well so far uh, for Tennessee. But um, my point was saying that you know, these aren't just some under-the-radar three stars that suddenly came on strong at the end in their recruiting cycle. These guys have been recruited heavily by teams like Steve Forbes, Wake Forest, by Alabama, by uh, Trent, there's another, another school that uh, well, for uh, Freddie DeLeon's case, I'm trying to think of who, who else he was even looking at. Uh, VCU was one. VCU's got, you know, had a, obviously a career of, or a history of bringing in some talented players. Virginia was in on him as well. Uh, it was really mainly Wake Forest, Alabama, Virginia, and VCU were the main competition for Tennessee with Freddie DeLeon. So uh, with Estrella, it's Syracuse and uh, Illinois, I want to say. That doesn't quite sound right, but it's one of those Big Ten schools that he's looking at, too, along with Syracuse. But, Gene, I mean, this this class has the potential to be a, I think, a very solid class. And it's, we've talked about it before. This is a very important class for the future of the program. And they're off to a very good start, in my opinion. And there's a chance, again, to bring in guys who are going to be here multiple years to be the future faces of the program after these current faces leave. Yeah, so the program, I think you were – you were talking about was our Iowa. Iowa, thank you. Yeah, yeah that was a Big Ten program. That's thank what I was, you. I was glancing at. But yeah, at some point, like you look at the guys that they've got the program. You look at the guys that they're losing this year. You look at the guys that they're bringing in, and I think you have something like the past few years have been kind of crazy. I mean, not just simply in the world, but you know, if you look at the Tennessee basketball program. Just what they've gone through over, like how many teammates have Vescovy and Josiah had? That's a good question. I mean, you can, I mean those guys you can have been here, there too. But yeah, so those yeah, guys I mean, have been there for like a, you know, a standard amount of years. I know Fulkerson was there for forever, but he had like what they say, like thirty-seven teammates. I think at this time at right. Tennessee. Granted, he was there for six years, but that's still a ton of guys. Well, and and I'm asking that because. You know, Fulkerson was there for six years, and right. like in the time, but in the time that, in the time that um, Josiah and Vescovy got there, that's when the portal really kind of mm-hmm. got trendy. And look, I mean, in all things in life, if we if we can look around and check, NIL hasn't been nearly what people thought it was going to be. I mean, it has. It's you know, there's people that have their highs. It was it was hot early. It's kind of Stalled, I'd say, in a sense now. Um, you know, I think there's just a lot of things at play there that make it harder to secure some of these deals that people... But anyways, my point is, it started off hot, and now it's cooled off a little bit. Like, when you look at the transfer portal, it's, it's still hot. It's still the thing to do, you know, regardless of the reasons, sometimes it's the coach who kick, you know, basically pushes the kids to the portal. Sometimes it's a kid who's not happy with the amount of playing time he's getting. Sometimes it's a better opportunity somewhere else. Whatever the reason may be, kids go to the portal. Um, I don't think the numbers going forward will be as, as high. Um, I just think it's such a trendy thing to do right now. So, like, that's what Josiah Vescovy have kind of 
they that's what those two kind of dealt with. Like those two, their careers started at Tennessee. Like in all apologies to Durosh, that was a crazy situation that got him to Tennessee, mm-hmm. and you know thankfully got him eligible and got him to the situation he's at now, where he's about he'll be a beloved member of the school, likely be an alum, um, like a graduate alum, not just a basketball alum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, when you just look at all the turnover just over the past couple of years, like, you're looking, you're like, wow, this is, it's it's crazy. Like, you see, I mean, like, Tennessee has something special specifically, and I'll say this in, in James, because, I mean, I understand. Look, we can frame somebody. I don't know. I didn't see all the headlines or anything like that. But somebody, I'm guessing somebody probably framed it as Josiah goes after Mark Stoops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't know the details. I don't know what all the headlines read. I saw the tweet. And, you know, obviously got, you know, got the seal of approval from the athletic director. But, like, you've got a kid who truly loves playing basketball and being a student and being a member of the University of Tennessee family. You've got a chance with what you're bringing in this year to have the next layer of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have that. I mean, I think, I think the Ziegler kid has a chance to be some of that, too. Maybe I don't know if his personality is that. That's the difference. Like, I don't know if his personality is... I'm going to love, I'm going to outwardly love the University of Tennessee. He may love it, and obviously there are reasons for him to love it with how the fan base galvanized around him through moments of turmoil um, and things going on in his life. But I don't know, I haven't necessarily gotten the sense that he's Josiah in that sense, that he's just like spokesman type person. But does that kid exist in this class? I don't know. But when, I, but when you have kids who are going to stay at your school for three, who are willing to stay at your school for three, four, five years, because so many things go into you staying that long. I mean, think about it. Like in Tennessee, think of everything that has to go the right way. And we can call this a knock or whatever. Think of what it takes for things to go the right way for a Tennessee basketball fan to watch a kid play for four or five years. A, they have to be good enough. They have to be good enough for the coaching staff um, to want to keep them around. Character, ability, potential, all that stuff. B, the kid has to be you know, ex, you know, ha, has to has to appreciate the amount of playing time he's been given to that point, to where he's not wanting to leave. You know, be it you know, is he get a star? Is he a starter? You know, is he a key role player that could be waiting his his turn? You got that. C, um, and this kind of goes into B. Like, is a kid happy enough to where he's not being poached? Regardless of how good he is. Like, when you're at a Tennessee, you're not typically getting poached if you're good enough. Right. That's what that, that, that typically goes for mid-majors. Right. Uh, so that's not as important. But D, and this is the unfortunate part of it, he may be a pro, but he's not quite good enough to be, you know, to leave early to be a pro. And that doesn't have to be enough. I, you know, at one point, we can go to the archives. You can see I, I made a I, I made a comparison to Draymond Green for Josiah. Yeah, Draymond was there for four years. It's not necessarily a knock if the kid isn't immediately good enough. And I, I think maybe the greatest recruiting job that Tennessee has ever done under Rick Barnes is getting Josiah at the time that they got Josiah and getting the person of Josiah just as good as, which is just as good as the basketball player. He'll never, he won't be first in anything, 
there's not a single stat that he'll leave first all time in. Perhaps not even top ten all time. That'd be minutes or some, you know, some you know, random stat like that. But probably not a stat he'll ever finish top time, top ten in. But as college basketball shifts, and you see all the changes and the you know the potential of you know the top sixty programs in the country just having their own NCAA tournament. And college basketball ceasing to become what we all know it to be. Like a kid like Josiah, and I just lean on him because, look, he, he no knock on, you know, on Vescovy, but I mean, he did, he came a couple months late, and let's no knock on him. It's just the truth. Josiah was there for every moment of the past four years, if I recall 19, 20, 21, 22. It's okay, this will be his fourth year. He's been there every all through all the good, all the bad. And so if you can find the next step, the next key, the next person in this class, because as much as we can, it's you know, you and I love to heap praise on number 30. Is he 30 now or is he five? He's 30 now. He's yeah, 30, he's 30 now. now. Yeah. Um, you and I love to heap praise on number 30. That kid's got two years left tops. He's going to have to leave at some point. <laughs> kind of like Grant Williams, kind of like Admiral Schofield, those guys. They're going to have to leave at some point. The important thing about college is kids grow up. So if they can find the next person in this class here in particular, um, other, you know, other people may be loved on this team, but nobody will be, you know, to see what that kid's, you know, stood through three years now and has the chance to continue to stick through like there's no there's no like there's no measurement for that and and i said if they can find somebody as special as what that kid has been to this program uh, in this class that you know that provides level of continuity to go along with the kid like you know it's a guy you know it's a guy ziegler who is special in his own way that's how you maintain a program uh, for however much longer that requires just to hang around. Yeah, that, that was all really well said. I, I think the only thing I really want to add to it is that um, at some point we're going to have to change the name of this podcast, to, the show, to the Josiah Jordan James fans because I think <laughs> I think you not you and I might be his biggest supporters. Um, In my mind, I've already done it. I mean, I'm just waiting on you to just change the branding. <laughs> I know I know for a fact too that um Jason Swain is also a big Josiah fan. So like I know I know he's in our, our corner too, Gene. But I, I, and there's plenty of people I mean I've, there's plenty of people on Twitter who love Josiah too, but I, I think, you know, I've been a big believer in him ever since he got here and I know you have too. So I I really hope, you know, what happened with him we talked about this months ago at this point on the show. I really hope what happened with him at the end of the season continues you know, not that he's gonna keep shooting 45 to 50 percent from three but that he's going to continue to that he found something offensively you know he found out of the confidence or something that clicked for him finally and that that continues on for this year because you know if he can continue to be that number what two scoring threat because i think basketball is going to be your number one guy if he, can, if he can continue to be the the second kind of guy you can count on to score for you this year along with having a guy like julian phillips on the roster and a tyreek key um, and with hopefully a healthy Olivier Camois out there as well, I mean, that's going to be extremely, I mean, paired that with his defense is rebounding. And as you mentioned, just everything else that Josiah is capable of doing, um, that's going to be a very dangerous team if, you know, he does realize his offensive potential at the collegiate level. Because um, I think his game will translate different to where if he goes in the NBA, if he goes overseas, wherever he goes, his, I think his game will be different professionally than it will be collegiately. But if he's, if he realized, if he's actually realized his collegiate offensive potential, then um, he's going to be a all SEC player uh, because he's going to fill again. He's going to fill up the statue. He's going to be a guy that pulls down five, six rebounds. That still dish out two or three assists. That's going to be a potential high efficiency shooter as well. And is going to play as long as he's healthy. Every game is going to play 32, 35 minutes a game too. So, um, yeah, I, not not to go off too big of a tangent talking about Josiah, but I, I just you know I agree with what you said about him. Um, yeah, I think 
So to kind of wrap up the whole recruiting thing, because um, I, I guess we move on to the next topic too, but to, to kind of wrap up the recruiting discussion, uh, again, keep an eye on, I don't know, I, J.P. Estrella I think is announcing September 2nd, I want to say. Um, so keep an eye out for that. He, he'll be announcing in the next, I guess, what, two and a half, three weeks or so. So that, that feels, right now, it feels like Tennessee has a lead, but you know, recruiting can change and Iowa or Syracuse can, you know, grab the momentum back at any moment. Um, that is more than more than uh, capable of happening in recruiting. But Tennessee, it seems like they're very much poised to, again, have a very, very strong, solid class. And again, that just would be the fall class. At this point, right now, you're counting on probably Josiah and Vescovy and more than likely um, Julian Phillips all leaving. Of course, Terry Key is here for just one season because he's a grad transfer. So I, th- I think Tennessee will have at least four spots open, and then there's definitely a chance you see a transfer or two or something happens. So you could have anywhere between four, well, technically anywhere between probably three to six, maybe even seven spots open up again. Um, like you've had the last few years where you've had six or seven spots open. So well, Tennessee signs in the fall, that's probably not going to be it. You'll probably have another, as you we've talked about before, Gene, Tennessee finds a lot of guys, it seems like, in the late spring, early summer periods, or, again, the transfer portal. Tennessee has grabbed a transfer guy. Almost seems like almost every year that Rick Barnes has been at Tennessee, Tennessee has gotten a, a transfer. Even before the transfer portal was as big as it is now, uh, Tennessee has gotten transfers a lot under Rick Barnes. So I expect that to be the same at some point, too, Tennessee, you know, looking at the transfer portal and, um, maybe trying to pull somebody in for next season as well. But this kind of brings me to a discussion that you mentioned however long Rick Barnes is still at Tennessee. It kind of, I think, goes nicely into the next topic, and that is about jerseys, actually, because while the men's team didn't have any news about alternate jerseys or anything like that, the women's team did. I don't know if we talked about it last week. In fact, it may have happened after we recorded last week anyway, so I don't remember. Uh, but Lady Vols, actually, all of the women's athletics and, and general Tennessee are going to be wearing summit blue jerseys next year, which I think those look so nice. They haven't shown what the basketball teams look like yet, but they showed uh, volleyball and soccer, soccer kits and the volleyball uh, uniforms. And I love, I love the, the blue accent that the Layballs logo has had and the Layballs basketball teams had on the numbers and stuff too. I, I love that blue. I think it's a really just nice blue. It's, it's reminiscent of the powder blue of the kind of the throwback chargers uniforms in a way. Uh, a little bit, a little bit different of a blue than that, but it's very close to a powder blue almost, um, but a little bit kind of a deeper hue to it. And they're going to be wearing all all blue jerseys, obviously with orange lettering and different things like that. But they're wearing the Summit blue jerseys, and then this week, actually today, as of on Thursday, we're recording this episode. Uh, the football team announced they're bringing back the Smoky Grays for the upcoming season. Um, and they're actually going to have different iterations of it for the next three seasons. In 23, 24, and 25, they're going to have different versions of the Smoky Gray, not just the ones that we saw in 15 and 16 that they'll also be wearing in this 22 season. And, of course, last year for the football team, you had the dark mode jerseys. You saw baseballs had Smoky Gray. They came out with a dark mode jersey this year as well. Um, meanwhile, Gene, Tennessee men's basketball hasn't really done anything on the jersey front in a while. I, we were talking before we hit record here, and they did have the Nike kind of uh, version, I think, for a couple years there. Of just, you know, the, the Nike's version of the Tennessee standard home and away uniforms, jerseys, whatever. And then I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was the uh, the last year of the Grant Admiral in 1819. They debuted those um, throwback, like Nike's take on the throwback jerseys of the Bernie and Ernie era, I believe, before Tennessee played in that. Brooklyn tournament when they played Louisville and Kansas, and I think after that they made them like they ended up becoming their permanent style that they now wear right now of, of the home and away jerseys where you have the uh, lettering where it's circle shaped, you know the Tennessee Volunteers on it, and it, again it looks like the '70s jerseys, but you know with a little bit more of a, a modern flair to it. I don't have a, I guess y'all don't talk about it. I'll, maybe I'll flash a picture up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, but you guys know what I'm talking about. It's what Tennessee's been wearing the last few years. Um, you know, it looks a little bit like the older stuff, but again, not quite as not quite as old as the older uniforms did. But Gene, the last time I remember Tennessee wearing anything out of the ordinary in basketball was I want to say it was Rick Barnes's first, maybe second year when they they wore the smoky gray jerseys at the time that the basketball team had, and they wore it in the I remember they played 
against Florida and wore it. I don't remember if that was in the SEC tournament or if it was a home game in Thompson Bowling, but I remember them wearing it against Florida, I'm pretty sure, um, in men's basketball. But they haven't done anything since then, and I wonder, you know, partially is that because it's Rick Barnes and he's more of a traditionalist, older coach. You know, we saw, again, when football side of things, when Jeremy Pruitt and Philip Fulmer were running the show, there was a, very much a concerted traditionalist effort because it was also trying to break away from the Butch Jones era and things that he was changing and doing the alternate jerseys and stuff. And we saw Tennessee go back to what they wore in the 90s with no stripes in the pants and black cleats and stuff. Um, you know, and I think Rick Barnes, obviously, older coach, again, he's been around for a very long time, probably prefers things kind of not too super outside of the box. But the way I look at it is when your main color is orange, especially the kind of orange Tennessee has where it's a pretty bright orange, why not have fun with it? Like, that that's a, such a fun, bright, obnoxious color. Why not pair it more with than just with a white or just with an orange-white? Obviously, football, you have, you know, sometimes you have the all-orange look, which, you, you know, is, is a rare, I guess it's kind of technically an alternate jersey for Tennessee, but in basketball, you get that every away game. You know, you wear the, or- you wear the all-whites for home. You wear all the all-orange at you know, in road games. So you don't have, you know, it's not even as special to wear an all-orange get-up for the basketball team because you wear that every road game. I just would like to see something, even even with Tennessee wearing like a, a nod to the Summit Blue where they have their own, you know, basically kind of wearing the Layball's older, jer- like regular jerseys where they have blue trim on their numbers. Can we get Tennessee maybe have a dark mode jersey for the men's side, for men's side of things in basketball? Maybe we can get a, a different updated Smoky Gray because I wasn't a huge fan of the Smoky Gray basketball jerseys that Tennessee had um, back in the day, but maybe we'll get something even if it's this, that, I, I don't know. I just want something, Gene. And I'd be curious to hear our listeners' or viewers' thoughts because basketball just doesn't have as much of a history with different jersey combinations. And I think it's kind of true in general for a lot of college basketball programs, but there are plenty of programs out there that do different, just different styles and stuff like that. They don't just have the two, you know, the one they wear at home and the one they wear away. They have different looks. It's not as popular in basketball as it is in football or even definitely baseball, too. You have a lot of different looks in baseball, uh, both in the majors and collegiate level. But uh, it'd be cool to see something, Gene. I mean, to me, the orange looks really good on white, but to me, putting orange on a darker color and like the smoky gray or like a black, I think makes it pop even more. I think having a dark mode jersey for men's basketball would be really cool. I think it would look really cool, but I I don't know your thoughts on it. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because we were talking beforehand about Tennessee has just basically, they've had just two colors for a long time, orange and white. If you look at other schools like Georgia, for example, they have three different colors. Auburn has three different colors because they're, they're orange, blue, and white. Georgia has, technically they have four because they have their gray, black, red, and white. Um, but then you think of Tennessee and you think of you know a school like Texas or Alabama, and they just have two colors, orange and white, burnt orange, which is kind of brown and white, and then Bama's is crimson and white. So, I mean, Tennessee doesn't have a traditional third color, but they've tried to implement the smoky gray as a kind of a new third color, and I'm, I'm all for it. I would just love to see a little bit more creativity and kind of new stuff with the basketball jerseys because they don't get to have the fun that a lot of the <laughs> It seems like they don't get to have a lot of the fun that a lot of the other uh, sports do. Because even the Lady Vols, I mean, we're getting the Summit Blue, but they also, obviously, for breast cancer awareness stuff, they've, they've worn the all pink jerseys. They I think this past year they had uh, the purple trim stuff for the Pat Summit Foundation as well. So I know it's obviously a little different because, you know, the women's side of things, breast cancer awareness stuff is, is big. And then obviously Pat being who she was, you know, honoring her and doing different things. That's obviously very different. Tennessee doesn't have that on the men's side of things. They don't, they don't have a Pat Summit. But still, like, it seems like the basketball team has gotten left out on the fun of all the jerseys. Yeah, and I don't think that um, when – I don't think people take in consideration how excited the athletes get for alternate jerseys. And like I told you the story before, before we started that the, you know, when I was at Carson Newman, we had, you know, we had three colors. We had the Navy, we had the white and we had Navy white and orange for our jerseys. So for away games, Navy was our color. Home games white, but we also had this alternate orange. I think we may have worn it like we very rarely wore it, very, very rarely wore it, but it was exciting. 
there's a lot of excitement that just comes from putting that jersey on because it's different. And again, I understand what does it lead to in terms of wins and losses. Like you're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids. There is a level of excitement. Like when I remember when I would see the the baby blue Tennessee jersey, you know Tennessee Lady Vols jerseys. You know when I was younger, uh, that felt exciting. It felt fun. Um, you know, I think the last school I went to, the primary jerseys were the primary colors were red and white, but we also had a black jersey and we also had a yellow jersey with the red trim. You had options. And I understand Tennessee doesn't have a ton of other options because they only have two uh, primary colors, but you've got a black, you've got a gray, and if you don't promote, you don't promote it, you just show up, like you don't do the social media thing, there is a level of excitement that would exist in show, you know, in 20, you know, Tennessee draws so well in basketball, 22, you know, 21,000 people in attendance at a game. And all of a sudden, here comes, you know, the team taking off their warm-ups and they've got great jerseys on. Like the, the buzz, you know, the still a phrase from uh, John Rothstein, palpable buzz. <laughs> from 20,000 people at, you know, at Thompson Bowling. And... I think it's fun. Like, yeah, if people want to just go straight to the, uh, if people want to go straight to the, uh, the stats, so be it. Uh, I mean, if they will go to the numbers of what's the record when they do versus when they don't, uh, like, that's so relevant, man. Like, some of that's just a matchup. You break out the great jerseys when you're Tennessee football, you're playing Alabama in the midst of the past decade. Like you're probably not going to win. Like I mean, I mean, like regardless of yeah, I mean I understand it, but like you're not going to win that game. But if you can excite a hundred three thousand, like I remember the game where Tennessee football played. Um, what was it? Uh, it was the Kiffin years. So was it South Carolina? Yeah, I think it was yeah, South Carolina. The oh, nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that, was, that was the all black jersey, or the black top, at least. That felt fun. Mm-hmm. It felt fun. I mean, and they won the game, but like, it felt fun to see it. And the team gets far more excited than I think fans realize. Because you're already jacked up about playing in a basketball game or playing in a football game. And then here comes... You know, and then here comes, yeah, you walk into your locker room, you don't necessarily know this is happening. And then you look up and you see, oh man, different, different jerseys. So this, so it, to the fans, it feels, I'm sorry, to the team, it feels slightly more important, whether it is or not. I mean, I mean it could just be as simple as some equipment person forgot to maybe wash his shirts. I'm not saying that happens. I'm just saying that anything is possible. That's the reason why those alternate jerseys are available for you that night. But but it it brings a level of excitement to the program, and it brings a level of excitement to the the fans when they see it. Yeah, you got to win the games and lose the games, but in the moment, there's excitement. And I think you should always be looking to bring an additional level of excitement to your program. So many, only so many things you can do in, in basketball, but the alternate jersey is, and, and I mean the, the alternate color jersey. You know, not just, you know, I know they had the, didn't Tennessee bring out some throwbacks last year or something like that? I mean, the, the look they have now is like a nod to a throwback because um, it looks like the 70s, style script with the Tennessee volunteers on it rather than just having Tennessee across the front like you had for a while. But I'm looking at I'd forgotten about this, but I'll put it on the screen as long as I remember to do it in editing. Looking at a picture of Melvin Goings, Gene, from the I think 2010 season 
Tennessee jersey back then, God, Melvin Goins was stacked and tatted, man. Uh, but but that, that's, that away jersey that year, I don't know if the home jersey did too, but that away jersey had some black accents on it with the Adidas. You had a little bit of black trim around the collar. The number and letters were outlined in black. You had some black yeah. uh, lines on the side and stuff. Like, there was black on that. And then looking at uh, another picture of Wayne Chisholm from that same 2010 season, I think, when they were bounced by um, Michigan State in the NCAA tournament, that's a very different look too. It's a it's an all orange because it's a way away jersey, but it has a it's a very thick white stripe on the side, and it's broken up in the middle by a, a, like an orange bar going across it, which is a very different look than I forgot about that. Just how that you know how those mid two thousand I guess two thousand ten jerseys and stuff looked, but they've done. Tennessee, I guess, to the credit, done maybe a little bit more than I expected, but they've never, they've never, to my knowledge, have ever had, you know, like you said, anything that has gone beyond just having orange and white as the main color. They've never done a, besides the, again, the smoky gray they had for a couple years there with Nike, that's the only thing I can think of that's ever been um, straight. Oh, Nathaniel, I've got you on this one. Oh, you do? I've got you on this one, yes. Yeah, the non-Tennessee fan has got you on this. I want you to... I want you to do a quick Google search. Um, I figured he was the easiest to find. I uh, do a quick Google search for Marcus Hayslip, Tennessee. Oh, I've got you. This is what I like. If you roll these jerseys out for a game, there's a picture of Tennessee playing Southern Illinois, and Marcus Hayslip is dunking a basketball. See, there were pictures from ducking basketballs <laughs> currently. Yeah, everything is from ducking a basketball. Yeah. I, I, I get that. That's why I was very specific because I'm looking at the picture right now. Um, there's a picture of Marcus Hazel ducking a basketball against Southern Illinois. Again, if you just type in Marcus Hazel, Tennessee, it should come up pretty easy. Oh, but yeah. You, yeah. It's, uh, like the, are you talking about the like neon orange, basically? It's. It's, if you see the lettering, it's different. Yeah. It's the block lettering that was very popular um, back in the early 2000s. Like everybody had it. Yeah, I'm looking at um, the picture. It's got or, it's got black around the sleeves. Kind and of. it has the black. Yes, it has the black. So it's not just simply the color. It's not just the hint of the black, but it's the color. Like it, roll those jerseys out for a game. And again, like nobody would care. Like it would be large too. What's that? So those are some shiny orange jerseys too, man. Yeah. No. Again, I, I know that era. That's why I kept thinking. I'm like, man, I felt like, you know, those. That was the lettering of the Carson Newman like alt orange alternate jerseys that we had, which is so. I think the regular regular home and away jerseys were like script cursive type deal. I think that's what it was. I can't quite remember, but um, but yeah, like. It's just something a little bit different. And it doesn't have to be something. Maybe you roll it out once a year. Maybe you just, like, find a game that you subtly do it every time, like Kentucky or something like that. Uh, like, I mean, I mean, we have, we have this conversation. Kentucky's in the exact same situation. They can't do anything either. They don't have a third color. They can roll out an occasional gray, but they never do. They can roll out an occasional black. They never do. When you only have two colors, you have two options for your third color, gray or black. So Kentucky has done a, some gray. Yeah, they've done that a few times. Yeah. Like, so one Duke, of the fun, I think. One of the, yeah, Duke doesn't have, you know, they, they could go, they, like, they're, nothing changes with their, with Duke's lettering. But they can subtly throw out that black jersey ever so often. But they can't do I don't think. I mean, no, I feel like they had a – they may have had a, a jersey with just – you know what Tennessee could do? They could throw out a jersey that just has a T on it. Just a T. Same color, same schemes. But instead of having Tennessee across the jersey or whatever it is, Tennessee Volunteers – just a T, just a power T, and I never. First of all, it, it, you know, full disclosure, I did not think this conversation would go very far. Even when you rolled it out there to me, I did not think. But like, I mean, my mind is wondering right now, and it's like you could throw just a power T on a jersey, 
maybe and and if you're gonna do that, you gotta have no name on the back. That's what it has to be. A power T on the front in orange or you know, like the you know, the home whites with the power T on uh, at on top and the power T's in orange, just the jersey number on the back. I think that would be so powerful. I, I personally, I think that would be like that would be one of the hardest jerseys that I've ever seen Tennessee wear since the jersey that I pointed out with Marcus Case with so everything else has been the same. Yeah, you could throw a little black around the edges. That's fine, whatever. But like it, it's been, it's been that long since you've ever had something that was just flatly different and not just subtly different. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I saved a picture of Marcus Hayslip, so hopefully I remember to go back and again not only just show the Melvin Goings one, but also um, Marcus Hayslip. But you're right, like that that would be a different look. I, I would I would actually not mind that either. I, I, like you said, I just like to see different, man. Like I would. It doesn't have to be. I know. I didn't. Again, I know there's a lot of traditionals out there, and, and I love tradition. Like I, I think the fact you know Tennessee has a very strong tradition in just athletics in general. Um, and I think it's fine. And I think it's fine to want to stay mostly traditional, but you can't just stay traditional to stay traditional and, and not move forward at all. Like I, I think you know, obviously we've seen Tennessee change different jerseys here and there in basketball again. Like they had the the just the Tennessee across the front for a long time, and then just a couple of years ago, re embraced the Tennessee Volunteers on it like they had the '70s and stuff. Because I'm looking back now, and like when Chisholm's back like 2010s, it just had the word Tennessee across it. Um, but those jerseys obviously are different too. That those jerseys almost kind of remind me without the shoulder pads because obviously there isn't shoulder pads in um, basketball. But the way those jerseys looked like back in the mid two thousands, kind of the Bruce Pearl era of Tennessee basketball for the most part, kind of remind me a little bit of the, the way they had the bulky, big orange or white stripe down the side. Kind of reminds me of the throwbacks that Tennessee wore uh, in the Casey Clawson football era with the. Like those the orange shoulder pads and the big bulk, like big thick orange stripe on the side. It kind of reminds me of those throwbacks in a way. Like I, I wonder if that's what they were, um, possibly modeling them after. I'm not sure because obviously Tennessee basketball didn't have them at the time that Tennessee football did. But um, makes me wonder. But yeah, those are. I mean, even those. Like I don't. I'm not a huge fan of those jerseys necessarily. But I think you know maybe doing something like that to honor the. I don't know the honor of the Elite Eight team. I don't know. I, I just think something would. It'd be cool to see something different this year because it's been a while since we've seen, like you said, anything significantly different. Uh, whether, you know, I like honoring throwbacks. I love that. I like, you know, I love it when the football team does it. I love it when the basketball team does it. I love, I love kind of honoring the history of your program and, and pointing out the history of your program. Because Tennessee has a, a long storied history um, throughout basically all of its sports that you can kind of go back and point to and say, hey, remember this. Hey, remember that. Hey, remember this extremely good player, this really good coach, or this really good era of our, you know, our team here. Um, but there's also, you, you have, to me, you got to have fun. And I, like you said, I, I don't think you can discount the way players like Alzheimer jerseys. Even, it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be a big surprise like that 2009 uh, South Carolina game was. Look how just hyped up and, and excited that for Trey Smith, for example, in football, would get it for just wearing the orange pants. Like, that was, that's not even like a, a big... You know, that's not even a – that's one of that's Tennessee's main color is orange. But he would get so excited about the orange britches. I mean, that was like the catchphrase for Trey Smith was the orange britches. Look how up and excited Tennessee football got when they would wear the Smoky Grays in the Butch Jones era. Look how excited they were about the dark mode jerseys last year when Tennessee, you know, it wasn't just a day of, oh, look, we're doing this. They hyped it up, I think, all week maybe, if I remember right, or at least three or four days before the game uh, when they, they wore them. But the dark mode jerseys were a big deal and got the players excited about wearing them. And you see all kinds of, you know, the excuses you, you can use is that you're, you know, doing it for recruiting. Even without that, though, like, I don't, that's, that's basically an excuse. If you're wanting to do a jerseys, recruiting is not, it doesn't move the needle for recruits like you, people think it might. But recruits do take a lot of pictures I've seen with in the, for the football team in those dark mode jerseys. <laughs> I've seen a lot of the recruits with their, their featured photo when they commit to Tennessee or when they come on visits. They aren't wearing a lot of times. They're not wearing the traditional orange tops or whatever. They're, they're wearing a lot of times. It's a dark mode, or you know, a few years ago it was a smoky gray. So, um, you, you can't discount how excited players and recruits and I mean younger fans and older fans too. I mean, I don't want to discriminate. There are older fans out there too who like, you know, 
alternates and throwbacks and things like that. So, do you know? I'm glad this went somewhere because I, I, I'm glad I got your imagination, your mind working because I, I think this is again. I think Tennessee has such a fun color with the orange they have and the you know and the orange and white, but they have, I think, a possibility just to have so much more fun than what they've had throughout the years with it. But I, I, I will say I love your idea of having a power T um, across the chest on the basketball jersey because that's been one thing that it's not that hasn't been featured super heavily on the basketball jersey. A lot of times the basketball jerseys had Tennessee volunteers. I think the Nike one, like I said, a few years ago had like that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not transparent, but kind of almost like a watermarked T power T on it. I, I know they did for the, I want to say they did for the, um, smoky gray, but I think even the regular home in a way they had that kind of watermarked soft T that would kind of be there, but it wasn't really necessarily there. It's kind of in the background of the Jersey. But I would love to see it front and center. That the power T hasn't been front and center on a Tennessee basketball jersey that I could think of. Like you've had it in the corner, you've had it, you know, on the back or on the pants, but you've never had it right across. And I mean, the football team hasn't either. But the football team has helmets, so like it's obviously prominently displayed on the helmets. So I like your idea, Gene. Maybe you have a big power T with a black trim, or if it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't you have to do that? Just an orange power T would be cool. But I think I like your idea of having more prominent. Uh, big power T display because that's not been something we've seen on uh, the basketball jersey a whole lot. I think, I think it's all you need. need. Um, I think I you think want something, something different. different. I, I don't. I, don't, I, think, I think people, people underestimate, underestimate how excited, excited kids, kids get, get about, about that. that. And yep. like, like when you're, if you're used to as a recruiting, recruiting tool. tool it is, it is a recruiting tool. tool. Like, yeah, look, I mean, and look, like, like it or not, not, when you're, you're trying, trying to win, uh, that's, that's huge. When, when you've won, won yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not, not so, so much. much. I understand Georgia and Alabama don't necessarily in football have to do those things. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I, get I get that. that. And, and look, last time I checked, I remember Georgia rolling the blackout. I've seen Bama roll the blackout. I've seen, I've seen those, those things. things, but when you're like when you're trying to win, you kind of have to do those things because you want to get the sort of players in your program to really bring the excitement. And look, basketball's no different in that regard. At the end of the day, Tennessee is a Clark. We looked at nationally as a 20, 20 to twenty-five win team. I could win a round or two in the playoffs. I'm sorry, in the turn. But if you can get the sort of players, or maybe Phillips is the start of that. Uh, Julian. Excuse me. Uh, maybe Julian Phillips is the start of that. Uh, bring the sort of players in that will constantly make you an Elite Eight on a four type team. Like, then maybe that changes. But. You know, you know, right, right now, now, as you're, you're trying, trying to, to, in a weird way, I almost want to say that Tennessee's like, like rebuilding uh, its, its program, program in, in terms of how they go about some of their business. And if you can, can do, do little things that just, you know, bring some level of excitement to these kids, then that's, that's beneficial. That only helps. And that, that's, that's always going to be my argument. Is like, there's, there's no, no downside, downside to what I'm suggesting. None. I, I, I think it's only positive. positive. Now, will no, it happen? Probably not. not. But there's, there's no, no downside, downside to doing it. I mean, I mean Texas, Texas wasn't necessarily known for that stuff, stuff either. So it could so just be, you know, just, you know, Rick Barnes is just a traditionalist that will just continue to do things a certain way. And that's fine. You know, you know, like, like you're not going to win any more games as a result of that, that but you do, you do potentially bring in the sort of excitement that could lead to some players that can help you win games that you may not otherwise win. Well, I'm sure that we'll have plenty of people give us their thoughts, hopefully. I, I, I'm not saying that even facetiously. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on you know in the comments or on social media about alternate jerseys for the men's basketball team or the lady balls. Again, we talked about, you know, you're getting the Summit Blue. You already have breast cancer awareness and I'm sure the other Pat Summit Foundation stuff too for the lady balls, but heck, maybe we get a smoky gray or a 
dark mode for the lady balls. I think that'd be cool too. I'm, I'm all for it. Like again, we didn't talk about them because they are getting for sure an alternate jersey this upcoming season. But uh, again, men's team has been kind of left out of the loop for the last few years um, with that stuff. But go ahead and end the show there. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, whether you're watching it, listening to it, really appreciate your time and your energy and your support for the show. I can't say it enough. I and mean, again, we're three months out or less than three months out from basketball season. Still pretty deep into the off season with it though. And you got, y'all are still eating up the show and sharing it. And that, that can't tell you how much I appreciate that. So thank you all so much for that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, commenting, all the stuff you do. And thank you, Gene, for joining me on the show. By signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel Rutherford, and this has been another episode of Vault Basketball Fever. Thank you for listening to the Vault Basketball Fever podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Paul fans.